the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is the week of very special guests with Brian Fromm out of town. My name is In Simpkins. This is The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is in Mexico for his 20-year anniversary. If you see him, give him a high five. Give him a bear hug. If you Actually, if you see him, you probably shouldn't say anything. He probably just wants to be left alone. But this week, though, we have a slew, a smorgasbord of very special in-studio guests. And I cannot wait for you to meet our next guest. But before I introduce him, a couple of uh, pieces of information. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, we are podcasted wherever it is you find podcasts. If that's you, a little uh, like, scribe, review, that all helps us out somehow. I don't know. Magically, it does. And uh, hit that share button if you don't mind. That would help us out a ton. But we have in the studio for the entire hour, my good friend, Brandon Brinskin. Well, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's did such you, an honor. Did you hear how I like messed up your name already? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we were already okay. off to a good start. Honestly, super normal. <laughs> and my name's spelled weird, so people say it wrong. It's good. You're well, good. I'm congested. Hopefully you can, let's just, we should just have you talk for the majority of the hour. I think everyone would appreciate that. Okay. So we we go back uh, a number of years, and we'll probably get into that later in the show. But why don't you, for anyone listening, just kind of give a bit of your story and your background? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, my history with my walk with faith has been long and hard, mm-hmm. but um, beautiful. So, um, yeah, I grew up in the church. Mom was a children's pastor. Dad, kind of on the other side of things, was um, military, a little a little more hard. So growing up as a more artistic guy, as, mm. as some would say, it was an interesting way to grow up with that juxtaposition. Yeah. Uh, I can't even get it out. <laughs> it's contagious, apparently. I know, apparently. <laughs> but um, up between my mom and my dad um, growing up, so... Yeah, so kind of getting into my later years, I, I went through some some major depression and mm. anxiety just through um, some different situations, whether it ha- was at school or um, just relationships in general. Mm. Um, there was a lot of uh, that struggle in my life and even ended up kind of leaning towards the, the suicidal and, and planning that, that aspect of um, of taking my life mm. a- in high school. And oh. so... Um, yeah, so what ended up happening was, long story short, um, the Lord, in a really beautiful moment in gym class when I was having one of the worst times of my life, hmm. sang a song over me and redeemed my heart um, wow. and, and taught me that, that healing isn't excluded from my life, that He actually wants healing and beauty for me, hmm. and um, sang this, this song over me that we were at the time singing in youth group and... Um, 
yeah, that started my journey of healing and, and redemption from from the worst of the worst of wanting to take my own life to um, being redeemed and whole and, and known and seen. So oh. now I'm a worship leader because I wanted to partner with Jesus in doing that for other people and um, and giving people that song to sing in their hearts of hope and redemption and yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now on the journey. So, I love that, man. Yeah. So, so you're at our Lamont location, right? If people want to learn more, they can go to communitychristian.org slash Lamont. And uh, you are the worship pastor of that location. You've been worship leading for how long at this point? Well, gosh, years now. I started right after that year in high school. So oh, about 16, I've been leading worship in different capacities. But no kidding. Yeah. So, but officially uh, as a staff person for about four years since I graduated Judson in 2016. That's right. And I'm curious. Okay. So now with a decade plus experience. What have, what have you learned about the church through this particular role of worship pastor? What's the state of worship in American wow, church? I mean, what I, a, I, I what just heavy, to throw that at you. Yeah. Just in your experience, though, because you've been a part of a number of different churches. I think your perspective is invaluable. Yeah, I, I think there's there's so many ways to answer that, just even depending on what right. denomination or, or practice you come from of the faith. Certainly. Um, but it's been interesting for me having gone to, to Judson University and, and studying all the different practices because mm-hmm. that's a huge value at Judson is respecting our brothers and sisters in faith. And so um, one of the biggest things that I've learned through this journey is that each expression is beautiful, hmm. um, but has something wrong with it. <laughs> right, um, right. So whether it be, um, you know, you can talk to anyone about some hurt that they have through, through musical worship in the church. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I guess for the contemporary church, there's some beautiful things happening and right. freedom happening. Um, but all in all, too, there is a lot of struggle happening with almost a, a lot of my millennial friends or even my Gen Z friends, because I'm right in between that. Right. I'm in that that cusper generation right in between the millennials and Gen Z. Hmm. Um, I... I've kind of seen the the struggle in the contemporary church of feeling like they have to somehow produce some kind of emotion or mm. or produce something out of themselves to feel like they can be included in a worship service. Interesting. Um, so there is that that unique struggle in the contemporary church where there is a beautiful expression of spirit, but there almost sometimes can be a a leaving behind of the truth of Mm. who we are in the gospel because of that. Mm. Um, Whereas I would point to scripture and say there, there needs to be a balance of spirit and truth that we're taught. Um, Sometimes we can lean heavy one way or the other, depending on what uh, expression of worship we're, we're talking about. And one of the things that I notice about you, you, you often are very intent on saying musical worship, right? Why, why is that distinction important for people that are hearing that? Maybe like, oh yeah, isn't that what music music is worship? But they're right. synonymous, right? That's I got the slap on the hand a lot from <laughs> my wonderful professor of worship, Doctor Torgerson at Judson. Um, love that man, but he uh, he often reminded us that any aspect of your life that is honoring to God is worship Preach. to the Lord. Yep. Um, and so, just because music is something that I do personally to worship the Lord doesn't mean that 
somebody can't also use running to worship the Lord or a conversation with a friend to worship the Lord. There's so many different aspects of worship. So Mm. I have to use the term musical worship when Uh I'm talking about that so that people can understand the the complexities of worship and how God loves everything we do unto him. So I think that's so smart. I, you know, sometimes because I'm the same way and a lot of times it's met with sort of eye rolls like, yeah, we get it. All of life is worship. But like, really? The band is worship. You know, that is that that tends to be the general sentiment. Why, why do you think it's so difficult for us to really take hold of like uh, a more holistic perspective of worship that everything that we do that honors the Lord is worship? Honestly, I, I think <laughs> you don't you don't always see that in other cultures. Right. It's a right. lot of time in, in American culture. We kind of talk about how. The band is the worship, and right. we often even almost use it as a, a capitalist mindset where mm. we're almost consuming rather than part mm. of the worship service. That's and good. so um, I think in American context, it, it is that capitalist mindset of like um, we often are are excluded from something. And mm. so. Uh, the band are the people that worship like we we right. hear in the congregation like we just experience that they're the mm. ones who on the stage are like apart or or holy or whatever word you want to insert there I think right. there is that mindset of like I have to consume because I can't truly be in that position on the stage yeah. that's probably not true for everyone but I think that is the natural tendency of American Christians to yeah. have that mindset with worship see and this is why I appreciate conversations with you so much, man. You think so deeply about things, ways that I, I don't think necessarily people are even necessarily always aware of, and that's a big part of your job, right? And that oh you, my gosh, yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I really, really do. And uh, I'm glad that you stick around with us for the entire hour. We're going to talk next about uh, a life of hurriedness and how do we fight that. We're going to talk about, uh, as my fellow Enneagram 3 here, let's talk about Enneagram and Scripture and maybe just wherever else the wind may take us this next hour. You've been listening to Brandon Benskin as our very special guest this hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he said he doesn't like me anymore, so he left. I'm just kidding. He's in Mexico on his 20-year anniversary, and uh, we are missing him a lot, but glad that he's getting a chance to celebrate. If you want to find us on Facebook, we're on Facebook, (laughs) The Common Good Radio Show. You can go to Facebook.com slash... The Common Good Radio Show. That also works, I think. Plus, just Google us. That's fine. All week long, though, we're joined in studio by some very, very special guests. And I mentioned this yesterday, too. It's just like some of my favorite people. And you're certainly on that list, Brandon. I'm grateful for your friendship and your leadership and the way that you see the world and serve the local church. And Brandon Benskin actually is our worship pastor at our Lamont location. You can learn more at communitychristian.org slash Lamont. And I don't see your picture anywhere on this page, Brandon. Yeah, that always happens. I always, uh, <laughs> as we're talking about hurry and busyness, uh, I'm always ending up too busy to go in to take a picture. So <laughs> is that that's what it my is? life. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Definitely is. You're like, you're not even on the, the banner image. It's Nancy. Yeah. She, she's the the real hero of our, our location. <laughs> our uh, lovely pastor's wife, Nancy. Yeah. I don't think I disagree, actually. She's, no. she's pretty she's great. great. <laughs> she's definitely great. All right. So you and I have talked uh, at length before about a shared common love and affection for a pastor named John Mark Comer. And uh, he recently wrote a book called 
the ruthless elimination of hurry. Which is based on a conversation that John Ortberg had with Dallas Willard, two other men, pastors, thinkers that I really appreciate and love. And I've actually not read the book, oh. but you have read it. <laughs> you can hear in his voice. It's this whole idea we just talked on Sabbath rest on Sunday. This is a topic that I care really deeply about. But I want you to kind of talk to us a little bit about this hurried culture that we're in and how do we actually like effectively slow down. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the interesting thing is this is not a, a long time journey for me. It's, mm. it actually started funny enough. I, I made sure to go back and listen to your conversation with Chris Lash that you had in March of 2019, because yeah. I, when he talks about my buddy who I called up to go on this Sabbath retreat, yeah. it was me. I was yes. the buddy. Um, so <laughs> you still are the buddy. Yeah, yeah. totally. So, um, this has been, uh, not even a year long, conversation Mm. for me. Um, So I'm struggling through this. So just to remind everyone out there that (laughs) if you are wanting to eliminate hurry from your life, it's, it is a process and you can start no matter where you're at with hurry. That's my pastor and me. I'm just trying to eliminate shame because that's good. That's not who we are. But, um, but yeah, so I guess I share a couple of things with you first, um, just some statistics about American culture where we're at right now with hurry. Um, and this is, this is something obviously I'm passionate about as a three on the Enneagram (laughs) is my life is hurry. And so, um, just some statistics here in 2015, the average American worker worked 1,811 hours a year, which turns out to be just over, um, 35 hours a week. Hmm. Um, in 1980, though, um, not even that long ago, there, the average worker only worked 1,638 hours. So it's almost wow. 200 more hours a year that we work. Wow. And the funny thing is, actually, in 1930, an economist projected that in the 80s, we would only be working 15 hours a week. Wow. And, Just because and, of technology and the yeah, ease of Yeah, and all of that. like, you know, you look at the, the Jetsons and like right. the, the funny aspect of, oh, robots will do everything for us. Right. And, and it's interesting enough how even in our time, um, they look at productivity of the of average American and we're actually mm. 40, 400 times more productive than we have been in years previous. Whoa. Yet we are overworked and overburdened right, at right. the same time. Wow. And so, um, yeah, so it's just interesting that, that they projected we'd be le- working less and the hardest struggle we would have was what fun thing can I do next? <laughs> Yet so many Americans are plagued by the overdose of hurry to the soul. Right. Um, and so even Gallup did a, a study um, and a couple years ago now that found that 50% of Americans work more than 40 hours a week. Mm. So this statistic in 2015 is even a little outdated because we're wow. even talking about people working 60 hours a week. Right, right. Um, and so... Just and that's just on the work side of things too. Um, for Americans, we work 137 more hours than Japanese workers. Who Japanese workers use wow. a term called they they talk about how you can have death by work. Hmm. Yet Americans work more. Hmm. And we work 260 more hours than British workers. 394 hours more than the average German worker. And funny enough, 499 more hours than those in France. Wow. So, 
Yeah, we we work a lot, I guess, is uh, the the way we can say it here in America. Yeah, no kidding. Um, But that's just in our work. We also spend 35.5 hours a week watching TV Mm. and 37.8 hours a week on our smartphones. That's 64 uh, minutes a day on Facebook, 48 minutes a day on Instagram, 48 minutes a day on texting, and so on. Wow. We work a full day's work on our things that we're consuming as people who live in a capitalist society. Um, So I I guess just to talk real quick, um, obviously I talked a little bit about my story of healing and and talking about through my depression and, and anxiety and something I learned. And, and counseling while um, I was really working through a lot of that healing was my, my counselor kind of talked through the cause of what what happens in our brains with anxiety. Hmm. It actually is just the constant consuming or output of our brain hmm. that we never turn it off. Right. And that actually is what ends up causing our brains to be so tired and overworked and that causes anxiety and it actually splits off in two ways. You either have a tendency to go towards anxiety or that that pressure causes you to lean towards depression. So they're in the same vein. Interesting. Anxiety and depression are in the same vein. It's it's just the way our brains take it is what ends up happening, what the difference is. Who knows what that is? I'm not smart enough to know. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so yeah, that's been the interesting thing for me is like in our society, we are, are built to, to not stop. Um, and a lot of times when I, obviously I work with, um, Gen Z now, I'm also the Stuco director, our, our youth director at the location I work at for community as well. And so just watching a lot of these kids, um, be handed a, a society where yeah. they're they're consuming TV because they want to keep up with their friends. They're consuming right. video games because they want to keep up with their friends. Like you, how how do you engage even friendship without that? Mm. That's mm. a conversation I'm having now. Is what 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 happens when I don't watch the next TV show that everyone's talking about? Right. What, where I'm will out. I go? I'm yeah, out I'm right. out. I'm out of friendship. I'm out of wow. conversation points to have with people, and so. How do we actually walk through slowing down in our society is such a big conversation. And so, um, yeah, so like I said, my journey started a year ago, um, but it's all coming to head with this um, beautiful time we've had at the church with Mm. our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, Part of my fast has been to actually eliminate all streaming services for this 21 days. And I have stopped consuming TV altogether and... I ended up downloading this this book and listening to it on on Audible, and now I'm here reading it in a physical <laughs> copy because I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, but there's some beautiful things I think all of us as Americans can take away from this book, and it's just a beautiful thing that you should pursue. And I'll get into that a little more here yeah. too. But. Oh, that's a, that's a perfect tease, by the way, because I want to ask you. All right, so we've established some of the problem. And I imagine those statistics for a lot of people are brand new, right? Like maybe people were aware, like, yeah, there's a problem. I didn't realize it was that bad. So coming up next, I want to pick your brain a little bit about, okay, so what do we do? What are some like really, someone's driving in their car right now, they're going for a run. Like what can I do differently today, tomorrow? 
I don't think I'm a mystic. I'm not going to move to the mountains, but I I do recognize that hurry is like creeping in on me. So we're going to talk to Brandon Benskin a little bit coming up next about how we actually ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives and uh, maybe a little bit Enneagram. Why does your Enneagram 3, as you mentioned, kind of speak into some of that and what does scripture have to say? So that's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. I am super sick, so my apologies for everyone having to listen to whatever noise is coming out of my face. But all week long, though, we're joined by some very, very special guests. My friend Brandon Benskin is in the studio, and we've been talking about hurry and restlessness and just some of our addiction to work. And now we're going to talk a little bit about a solution. But before we do, uh, a quick word from In Touch Ministries. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you, yes, you, even you, Brandon, with a complimentary wall calendar. And it's called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. Did you know Charles Stanley was a photographer? No, I didn't. That's a lovely church around the world. Right? An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps you've heard of it. And a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompanies each photo. You can get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. Plus, everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. And uh, so, Brandon, one of the things, cards on the table, that I appreciate about you is your honesty that you're still in process. And it was one of the things, you know, we just taught on Sabbath on Sunday, which is both a topic I love talking about and a thing I'm terrible at doing. And I probably mentioned it like five times in the sermon. Like, I don't, I'm still in the midst of struggling with this. But you're reading this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And you've been sharing with us some of the startling statistics some of the nature of our restlessness. And uh, now I want to get to some solutions. What are the things that kind of jumped out to you about that book about kind of a way forward for us? Definitely. I, especially as a worship leader, love talking about this part of mm. um, yeah, how to experience right. worship through the different practices of Jesus. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting and especially in the contemporary church right now, we often look at Jesus and say, well, I love that I'm saved. I love that I'm mm. known and seen. Mm. But yet we don't take steps towards Jesus to actually live right. in that freedom. Right. Um, it, it's so interesting. Like we love talking about Jesus as truth, but we don't love talking about him as the way. Hmm. And so how do we live within the practices of Jesus to actually move forward towards him? Yeah. Because he gave us a life that's so beautifully free and and 
able to live outside of slavery that we often put ourselves in. Right. Um, and and he, his life is just a reflection of how we actually are to live as mm. the person of Jesus. He himself in in himself is the only true human when we talk about theology right. because he's the only human that wasn't scarred by sin. Right. Um, well, except for our sin that we scarred him with, but mm. that's the beautiful thing is that he, he did not dehumanize and he did not dehumanize himself with sin the mm. way we all do to each other. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's the beautiful thing is he's actually taught us how to be human. Yeah. I love that. And so, there's some a lot of different ways that we can talk about um, how to live in that freedom. Um, but just real quick, too, um, there's this idea of, of hurried sickness yeah. that we, we talked about a little bit on Sunday. But I, I just get into that a little bit of, are you actually living a hurried life? You maybe not, might be listening to this and ask, I don't know if I feel actually that hurried. Mm. Um, but just to, to give you a litmus test of, if, if you're actually hurried or not, um, there's this concept of hurried sickness that uh, a, a beautiful um, a study did just in Britain of, ch- of checking if people were actually hurried and hmm. if that was causing them sickness, especially in their heart. But there was a study uh, that came out that actually gave a couple ways you can tell if you have hurried sickness, which the first one is moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. Hmm. Counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the lane that has the least or going the fastest or multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. I don't know about you, but that is definitely me almost every single day. Um, I think I do all of those. Yeah, actually. yeah. definitely. I, I think the biggest thing that that struck me when I was talking about this was um, John Mark gives his own his own couple uh, different uh, categories of hurried sickness. And the first one is irritability. Mm-hmm. I was realizing before I read this book that I was coming home to my wife and and just was irritated at her. And I, when I stopped to think about it, I would go, why am I irritated? Right. Right. And there was no reason for it. And it's because we're living in America in this sickness of hurry. Hmm. And so, yeah. So just to get on the topic of how do you eliminate that from your life? Um, John Mark gives a couple beautiful ways in, in this book, but, um, but truly, uh, he gets down to what, what the practices of Jesus can teach us about mm. slowing down. Mm. And so us talking about Sabbath this weekend is so cool that we, we have that practice, but really the practices of Jesus, such as Sabbath or silence or solitude, yeah. all those things we see Jesus doing in scripture, yeah. it was just something that he could use to recenter himself. Mm. So that he could live a life of unhurriedness, mm. um, of of eliminating the hurry in his life. Yeah, uh, it it's to align his heart with the Father. So we can talk about Sabbath, and that's beautiful. But I I, I hope that we can continue the conversation past that to realize that it's not just a legalistic thing that we check off to say, right. oh well, I did my Sabbath. Right, this we're week. supposed to do it. Right. right. It's actually to remind us that we are not slaves anymore. Yeah. Like that's the way Jesus talks about it, and the way God talks about it is it's a reminder that for the the Jews that they weren't slaves to Pharaoh anymore right. and they could rejoice. Right, right. So that's the reminder. It's not the lifestyle. It's the mm. reminder. Right. The, the lifestyle is a life of peace and rest because mm-hmm. of the Sabbath we're experiencing every week as a reminder that we're not slaves. 
So just a couple points of how you can actually eliminate hurry in your life. John Mark Comer gives this beautiful uh, uh, list of things. I'm just going to give you a couple because I want you to read the book. Yeah, please do. The first one that struck me was drive the speed limit. <laughs> it's been, for me, it's been insane just practicing, practicing this ever since I've, I finished this book. Actually driving the speed limit was one of the biggest things I see, especially where we're at in Chicago, mm-hmm. is I started going, okay, maybe I should practice this life of rest. And, and this is like one of the most simple ways I can right. actually drive the speed limit. And I started doing it and I was realizing, wow, I can actually stop and see the things around me. I can experience the beautiful creation that God has created around me instead of being mad whenever I got behind someone slow, stopping me from getting to my next thing. Right. Um, So good. This was almost I kind of describe it as the the noxosome shot to bring me out of the overdose of my soul mm. that I had, that I was, I was overdosing on this hurry yeah. that I was experiencing. And, and I didn't almost know, notice that I, my life was being wasted mm. with anger and anxiety and all these things were, were even just the basic things like driving the speed limit. Right. I wasn't even doing that, you know, mm. um, or even stopping at stop signs. That's another thing that John Mark Comer <laughs> talks about um, going in the slow lane, don't text and drive. Also things like parent your phone. Hmm. He talks about the concept of how our phones are actually built to own us rather than That's us right. own them. Yeah. Because things like Facebook or Instagram are free, they actually use us as the product. They sell us to other things right. rather than us buying whatever they're selling. They're actually selling us. Yeah, right. And so our phone isn't built for us. It's it's actually built. The phone is owning us. Yeah, right. And so things like putting your phone to sleep. Hmm. Are you checking your email more than twice a day? Because psychologists talk about how you hmm. actually... You actually shouldn't because it's actually unhealthy for you to check your email more than twice a day. For me, anytime I touched my phone, I was checking my email. Right, of course. And so it's causing these things for us to to worry and, and experience rush because we're always working, we're always doing and producing. And so there's wow. just these beautiful things that you can read in this book to experience that life That's of so eliminating good. hurry. That's so good. One of the things that I said on Sunday was what you cannot rest from, you are a slave to. And that, that idea, right, that, well, I, I mean, sure, I check my phone, but everyone checks my phone. Part right. of it is because it's so culturally normal yes. to speed all the time, to always be on your phone, that yes. we don't even realize how enslaved to these things we are, man. That, I think, is such timely wisdom. I love that you shared that. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Coming up next, we're going to change gears a little bit, because I want to talk about, you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, how, how we can engage Gen Z and millennials as the church, and some of the ways that maybe your Enneagram and scripture has to influence that. We're going to try and get all of that in, in our final segment here on The Common Good with Brandon Benskin on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is out of town. We have not seen him. If you see him, please let us know. We're very worried. But you can find us 
or digital representations of us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash the common good. But in Brian's absence, we have just a slew of wonderful in-studio guests all week long. And Brandon Benskin, just to say it before we wrap up the show, man, I'm so grateful for you and your friendship and your leadership. It's so much fun to be on the same team now and see you a whole lot more than I have in the past. And uh, just to say it out loud, I think you're a great leader and pastor, and I'm grateful for you. A lot of you probably don't know, but Ian is probably one of the only reasons I'm still a worship leader. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yes, dude. You you gave me a beautiful word when I was a junior in college that that has kept me going. So it was straight from the Lord. So thank you for your leadership as well. That was my pleasure, man. So you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, you're actually kind of tucked in between millennials and Gen Z, which I find fascinating. And you care deeply about the church in general. So I want everyone to hear that this isn't, you know, I shared with you an article about some church that their suggestion was to the older congregation, just find somewhere else to worship as a way to engage young people. And you and I just both kind of shook our heads. And I imagine you have a lot of other thoughts about that. So where are Gen Z millennials and the word that you use in your talking points, I think is so good. How do we re-engage younger generations? Like what are some things the church can learn from? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I've, I've, sat with some some older people like my grandparents who are beautiful Christians and, mm. and that is not a, a unique situation that that church is sitting down with their elderly people and pushing them to the side um, but uh, that's something you know when you talk about millennials and especially Gen Z too now we, we talked about millennials as the fatherless generation mm. But even more so, Gen Z is even more fatherless. Really? Yeah. So that's what they're starting to see is that quote unquote fatherlessness of our generations. And the unique thing, because I'm in the middle right there, I do, I label myself a millennial, but I do have a lot of things in common with Gen Z as Mm. well. Mm. Um, And so I'm seeing myself sit in that culture of, I didn't have really a direction pointed to of how mm. to live life and how to practice the faith. And so right. I, I think that this whole conversation is such a, a broken one. Mm. Um, because again, I think the church is almost trying to give a quick fix to this, right. the situation rather than a, a holistic fix. Yeah. So the problem is not older people. I, We'll never say that, never in a million years. I think the problem is that, um, and this is a generalization, this is not every church, but the problem is, again, back to these practices of the faith, is if we actually were teaching our people, especially the older generation, how to teach Hmm. the practices of the faith, like prayer and rest and solitude and silence, if we were actually giving them authority as spiritual parents Mm. to parent this younger generation who just desire mentors and leaders that actually care about them, Mm. they would flock back to the church in my opinion, because Mm. that is, that is the desire we need community for a generation who is so transient and, and moving from place to place, just trying to, to fix whatever we're missing. Right. Right. Really, the the true desire is to know how to live life. Hmm. And we almost are told, well, come to Sunday morning service and that'll fix everything. And we get there and we have to produce an emotion or a feeling or whatever you want to say. And we're not learning actually how to live our lives Hmm. the way that is 
opposed to our secularist world. Because secularism, that's the unique thing about our society, that we are post-Christian. Yeah, and right. so we're seeing things that that secularism is almost truly living in the kingdom of God without the king. Hmm. And so if you look at, um, not to get too political, but if you look at either party, yeah, right. they all have different definitions of freedom. Right. Right. There's, there's such this unique thing that, well, yeah, they're all talking about equality. They're all talking about justice. They're all talking about hope and peace right. and love, but they're all pointing different directions to get there. Interesting. And all of them are leading to places, such things like, like the sexual uh, identity of our, our culture that's leading people down a road where they're not experiencing freedom hmm. and things like money, like point you need more money or more things that's leading people to more slavery. Right. And so they're, they're trying to find the things of the kingdom, but they hmm. don't have the king to point them in the right direction. And hmm. for all of us to be able to move forward towards that direction as a group of people. Right. So all millennials and Gen Z are living already in the kingdom because we already have those talking points. That's natural for us, hmm. but we don't have the direction to actually follow in life. And so if we actually had an older generation that was pointing us in parenting us as a fatherless generation, yeah. actually having spiritual parents, it would be such a beautiful change for our generation. And I think that's also why a lot of my millennial friends are flocking to the Anglican church. Yeah, right. There's, there's even just simple things in the Anglican liturgy that I just get to experience this and it teaches me something. That's right. There's something beautiful about the liturgy that I get to learn something that I can take into my everyday life. That's right. And that's a quick, again, a quick fix for parentlessness, you know? Right. Um, if we had actual spiritual mothers and dads that would actually guide us, mm. there there would be so much more hope in the, the conversation for Gen Z especially and millennials mm. that we would become the church. Right. So what do you think is like one step someone who's listening right now thinking, okay, I, I'm convinced of your argument, I don't know how to do that. Like, let's assume the vast majority of people listening aren't pastors or leaders or running uh, organizations that are responsible for these things. They're like, I, I'm a Christ follower and I, my heart aches for the younger generation. What's like a word or two of encouragement or challenge or instruction that you think someone could walk away with or a direction you would point them in at least to, to actually begin to take some of that on? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that I've kind of pointed to is... Um, because of, I think in the 80s, we experienced this thing called stranger danger. We're scared of everyone. Right. <laughs> and especially for millennials, that's all we've known hmm. is since the 80s, we've been told everyone is dangerous. Right. Um, right. No one, if someone comes up to your door, you don't answer unless you know they're coming already. Right. And that's, that's the weird thing is that because we have to close off our homes, it's almost like we're homeless because we hmm. can't invite community in. Hmm. And so the big biggest thing for those in, in the older generations like Gen X and Gen, uh, uh, boomers yeah. is to just invite millennials over to your home. That's good. Give them a home base, a safe place where you can have hard conversations. But if you're inviting them over without an agenda, right? right? Just to That's be. the things right. up with, with millennials and Gen Z. They will sniff out your inauthentic inauthenticity. Yep. They will sniff it out immediately. Yep. 
So if you're calling them over because you quote unquote need to correct them or on something right. or, or or whatever some kind of charity case, yeah, or, yeah, definitely they will automatically smell that. Mm. And so if you just want to actually know them, That's if you good. just actually want to give them a home yeah. and to be a parent, just invite them over and let relationship happen. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a small group. It doesn't right. have to be a Bible study. It just needs to be community yeah. where you can simply teach them the practices of the faith. Man, oh man, what a note to end on, brother. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us for this whole hour today. I really appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time just to share with all of us, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been an honor to, to be here with you again. It's been a pleasure, dude. You are similar to a spiritual father in my life, oh, so man. you are honored and loved and I'm thankful for you. Thanks so much, brother. The feeling is most certainly mutual. Uh, that is Brandon Benskin. Can't encourage you enough. Go to communitychristian.org slash Lamont. He is the worship pastor there of a great location. Uh, I would love for you to get a chance to meet him and... Uh, Take him out for coffee. Why not? You drink coffee, right? Oh, I love coffee. <laughs> I know you do. This has been the entire day, the entire week. A very special guest in studio with Brandon Benskin here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It is the week of very special in-studio guests. My name is Ian Simpkins, and this is The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is in Mexico for his 20-year anniversary. I'm almost there. I'm celebrating three and a half, so... Not even close. But you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast, if that is you, a little like and subscribe and review does help us out a whole lot. But as I've mentioned, this is the week of very special guest, and Pastor David Washington is no exception. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Man, it's a pleasure. Now, I know a bit of your story, uh, and I imagine even people listening maybe know a bit of your story, but I'm wondering, can you just take some time and let people know? What is what is your story? Where'd you come from? Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a community called Roseland Community. Uh, from the time I was two years old, I think it was 1975 when our family moved into uh, the Roseland Community. At that time, it, we were in the middle of demographic changes happening uh, in the community. And uh, at an early, early age, I got involved with 
gangs and the street mm. life and that sort of thing. And I mm. kind of became a, a neighborhood folk hero <laughs> or really? a celebrity, hood celebrity, if you will. <laughs> hood celebrity. And, uh, you know, uh, I was really living, living, uh, you know, I was living that life. Hmm. I was living a gangster life and uh, a lot of violence in my world, hmm. a lot of drugs, alcohol addiction and things of that nature. Um, went through a whole lot during those seasons of, I would say, maybe fifth grade into, you know, a couple of years uh, after high school. Hmm. Uh, I rose up the ranks of the gang and became the first chief uh, of the gang that I was a part of. And uh, life was pretty rough. Life mm. was pretty, uh, I was pretty paranoid. It was protecting your life, guarding your life. It was really like, mm. it was really war. Mm. And so um, I came to know Jesus Christ through uh, the ministry of the Salem Baptist Church of Chicago. Wow. They moved into the community, and what they didn't know at the time is they the church, uh, the block that their church was on really was the dividing block between two gang factions that warred mm. all the time, wow. man being one of them. And so over the course of about three or four years through uh, relationships that people in the church built with me and through conversations and experiences, I came to know Jesus Christ. I came wow. off of the streets as a gang member and went back on the streets as an evangelist. And, uh, you know, years down the road that led to me pastoring a church in the same community. That's crazy. And I, if I remember correctly, there was a, a moment in your story where you kind of like made a deal with God. Is that right? Yeah. What was what was that story? Well, I was 19, 18, 19 in that range, and I was getting ready to go to prison for 15 years. I've been in jail in and out a lot. That was kind of mm. typical. Uh, but when you're not even 20, and you're getting ready to do 15 years and you live the kind of life that I live. It's really like a life sentence because mm. you don't know what you will have to do to survive in that world right. that may keep you in prison for longer and all of that. Um, I got to a place where I realized that um, this world and these people that I had given my life to was really, uh, they weren't really for me. Mm. And so, you know, the gang threw a party for me because I was getting ready to go do this plea deal the next day. So mm. they threw a party for me. And at the party, I was realizing this party wasn't really about me. This party was really about partying. Mm. Um, and I saw many of the guys who uh, were part of my gang, uh, you know, doing disrespectful things and mm. uh, really showing me like uh, my, you know, going after my girlfriend and stuff like that at the Man. party. And so, uh, you know, I was really in a rage and was getting ready to do something that would <laughs> make life worse for me. Mm. So I just left. I didn't tell anybody I left. I just left. Hmm. And um, at the time, I didn't know why I was talking, what I thought was talking in the air, but I was praying. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know why I was just talking in the air, uh, 
saying if there's a God up there, if you hear me, wow. you know, I need to know uh, if I know you're real, then I'll, I'll serve you. And the deal that I made uh, was that if he could get me out of prison in one year, uh, that I would serve him. And my promise to him was for that one year, I would read the Bible and to the best of my ability, try to live out the principles of the Bible. Wow. Uh, long story short, uh, God showed me he was God by not even allowing me to go into prison at That's all. Wild. Yeah. So in that moment, then what's going through your head? Like you go from speaking into the air God, if you are real, a prayer that maybe a lot of us have prayed, like, I don't even know that I buy this whole God thing, but if you're there, do this thing for me. Yes, and then it ends up being even better than what you asked for. What on earth is going through your head and heart when all that's going down? That, that was the first time that I really felt fear. Really? I, I, was, I, I was so afraid. Wow. Um, the things that happened in the courtroom were miracles and uh I was convinced that God was real. And once I was convinced that God was real, it just it gave me a realization that God knew everything, that God Hmm. saw everything Hmm. and that I couldn't play, that my life was in the hands of an eternal God. Right. And, uh, you know, I took my cigarettes, I threw them in a trash can. (laughs) I went home. I took all of my gangster music and just threw it in a box and I, I, I was trying to understand more about God, who this God was, because once I was convinced that he, he lived, I wanted to know what his will was and I wanted to live for him. Wow. So it really was like a, like a 180 moment for you. You're like, yeah. all right. That this, was the moment. That, this seems legitimate. Yeah. T- time to turn over a new leaf. What Was that difficult for you or was it like, nope, this is the obvious thing to do? No, it wasn't difficult once I came to that realization. Really? Once, once God revealed himself to me, it, it was it was just, I'm, I'm a loyal guy. And if I believe in something, I'm going to live what yeah. I believe in. I was willing to die, you know, for my neighborhood. I was willing to die for the the principles of our organization and the streets. And certainly when I realized that God was real, that he created me, that he had a plan and purpose for my life, I was willing to give 200 to it. Man, oh man, what an incredible story. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but your story is such an encouragement to so many people. I was telling you off air too. I think we've even used your story in sermons at community and you have blessed. I know for a fact uh, thousands and thousands of people who have heard it. And coming up next, I want to read this headline out of Gospel Coalition. It says, How One Ex-Gang Leader Is Reaching Chicago's Most Dangerous Neighborhood. You guessed it. That is our guest, Pastor David Washington, who's going to stick around with us for the entire hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he is in Mexico gallivanting or watching sunsets or something. I'm, we're not really sure. But you can find us, if you'd like, at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, at Common Good Talk on Twitter, 1160hope.com, slash the Common Good, and wherever it is to get your podcast. But we're joined 
the entire week long with some very, very special in-studio guests. Pastor David Washington is my guest for this hour, and I read the headline just a little bit earlier from the Gospel Coalition, and if you missed his story, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. But the headline out of the Gospel Coalition reads, How One Ex-Gang Leader Is Reaching Chicago's Most Dangerous Neighborhoods. And if anyone's been in Chicago for any length of time, uh, we know that violence, particularly gun, gun violence, is a real issue in Chicago, and You've now kind of given your life to this particular ministry. What what are the ways that you're doing this, that you're going after some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city? Well, I've always stayed connected to that neighborhood that I used to lead gangs in. So I've been doing ministry there for well over (laughs) a couple of decades. (laughs) Is the math painful? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man, that long already. Yeah. But uh, I've been in that neighborhood. I grew up in that neighborhood. You Mm. know, I've done bad things in that neighborhood. Mm. I'm trying to make up for the bad things by doing uh, good things in the neighborhood. Uh, It's just a ministry of being present. You Mm. know, it's a ministry of of uh, being engaged in the neighborhood, um, coming around, doing ministry, having prayer you know, prayer events in the neighborhood, prayer walks in the neighborhood, wow. uh, school, uh, back to school, you know, backpack giveaway, you know, um, events and things of that nature. Whatever we can do to be present in the community uh, and engage the community. And, you know, many of our members at, at our church are from the community as well. Right, right. So uh, they live their faith in in the context of the community as well. Wow. So so I I imagine there are a lot of people listening that are absolutely blown away by the fact that you you stayed. This actually has been a theme all week, honestly, with a number of different guests. Like, what does it look like to really put down roots? When I imagine there might have been a temptation for you, like, all right, I've given my life to Jesus. It's time for me to move somewhere safer, somewhere different. Yeah, not at first. At no? first, at first uh, I mean, that, later on down the road, uh, I have moved out of the community, but I haven't, you know, I never stopped yeah. being in the community. Yeah, I never right. stopped doing ministry in the community. Uh, but the Lord, you know, I served as a assistant pastor. I was at nine years at Oakdale Covenant Church hmm. uh, under Dr. D. Daryl Griffin. And, uh, you know, when my season over there was was coming to a close, uh, the Lord just really put it strong on my heart to go back uh, to the neighborhood that I came from hmm. to start uh, and to plant our church. Wow. And so we've been there since 2015 wow. uh, doing our ministry. And so you're you're a part of a network of other churches too, right? Like, are you are you linking arms with other churches that are doing similar types of things in the community? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we do a, you know, we with. With all of the churches in the Roseland community, we do work with Crew. We do work with the Agape Center. Right. We do work with a, a network of, you know, Salem Baptist Church, of course, and mm-hmm. a network of uh, other churches in the neighborhood that's engaging uh, the community and trying to, uh, you know, help uh, people find their way out of the streets and right. to the Lord. Uh, so, you know, we collaborate as much as we can. We tr- we bring churches together 
uh, and we we pray, you know, in the evening hours during the summer on some of the most violent streets in the, in that neighborhood. And we've seen it uh, deter crime and change uh, crime uh, statistics wow. just by us being out there praying. Wow. Together. So yeah. so my question that I, I can't stop thinking about then is you're still actively involved in this community, but you had this whole other life, right? There's almost like different version of you. And I imagine a lot of the people that you knew during that season are still in this community, right? Like, yeah. What was their reaction to you, like becoming a Jesus person? Like, what, what, did you? I mean, did you stop talking to them entirely? Or like, what it, are you? Are was, you okay? <laughs> listen, I've always been a radical person, but to be radical for Jesus was just like yeah. a culture shock for a lot of the people that knew me. But what it did was it it, it caused them to be afraid. It caused them to not want to be around me because unlike most people, uh, you know, I never really like left the gang or left mm. the streets. I just came back with Jesus. Right. Oh, and so I went right back to the same corners. I went right back to the same streets, but my talk was different. My right. walk was different. Uh, I was uh, challenging people, you know, to, uh, to seek God, to give their lives to God. And it got to the point where I was clearing corners. They didn't want to hang. They see me halfway down the block, like the whole block is full, right? Everybody doing their thing. They see me half coming halfway down the block. And by the time I get to the corner, the whole corner is empty. <laughs> So, so you got to yeah. have a lot of self-confidence, though, because I think for a lot of people like, well, people are literally running from me. That's, this is hard to do ministry like yeah. this. Like, how, how did you find the perseverance to keep doing what you were doing when you're literally <laughs> clearing entire corners? Yeah, I mean, it was it was people. It, it, you have your what I call Nick at nights, like Nicodemus at night. Mm. They, they come to you in the secret times when no one else is around. Right. Uh, because that life is hard. Right. And what you go through is traumatizing. What you what you deal with is is a lot. Mm. And for someone that comes out of their world, someone who is an authentic street person like they are that understand what their world is. But then now that person is is not just a church attending person. Right. Right. That person is really a godly person on fire for God. Right. Uh, sharing the truth of God, preaching the gospel, leading people to Christ. And so uh, when they had those times, they would come to me and some people, People have come off the streets. The Lord has used me to lead gang members out of gangs. And, and wow. you know, we had a hip hop ministry and we was getting a lot of those guys into the hip hop ministry. We do prison ministry. A lot of the guys go back into the prisons and help inmates in the prison uh, to be encouraged, to be strengthened in their faith and to grow. And then when they, they get out to try to connect them with resources uh, so that they could pull their lives and their families back together. Wow. It sounds almost like what you're saying is when you live a life like that, they're almost hungry for something because the life is so hard. Sometimes yeah. I feel like in the in the suburbs, you sort of get lulled into a, just a sleep state walk that it's sort of like, well, everything's not terrible, but it's not great, so I'll just sort of exist here. Yeah. You're talking about dealing with people that are you know seeing violence and addiction all day long. It's like, you have a solution to that? All right, I'm all, I'm all in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's been your experience then? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, I have a voice with that hmm. population. I'm indigenous to that gang culture. Right. And so... I know how to talk to them. Right. You know, I know what they're going through. Right. I know the thoughts that's in their heads that won't come out of their mouths because I've been there, right? And so uh, they'll they'll listen to me quicker than maybe some other people right. that's trying to minister to them. And so you know, it was like a Moses calling where where Moses <laughs> left Egypt, but God sends him back, yeah. you know, to, to so Pharaoh can let people go. Man, oh man, that's good. Well, we're joined the entire hour by Pastor David Washington, ex-gang member turned church planner and pastor. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about some of the violence specifically in the city of Chicago and some of the things that you've seen and maybe mm-hmm. give some encouragement and hope to people listening that are unaware of a lot of what you're talking about mm-hmm. and they want to get involved themselves. So we're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is normally here, but he is out of the country enjoying his 20-year anniversary. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Or you can find our podcast, and that is literally wherever you find podcasts. If you hit that share button or write a review, all of that stuff does somehow magically help us out a whole lot, and we would really appreciate that. But we are joined all hour, an entire week, actually, a very special guest. But this hour in particular, an ex-gang member turned church planner and pastor, Pastor David Washington, whose incredible story of where he was going and where he's at now, I imagine has got to be inspiring to a lot of people. But I'm curious, like, is there a website that you can point people toward if they want to learn more about you or more about your church? Sure, sure. Uh, our website is kingdomchicago.org. Okay. Um, all of our social media and everything is on, on the website. So oh, right on. our story is on the website, what we're doing. And if people wanted to like link arms with you or if they wanted to give it all, or like they can do all that on the they website as well? They can do everything on the website. Okay, yeah. that's great. So one of the things that, you know, Brian and I, we've only been doing this show a year, and there's been a couple of things that kind of keep cropping up as we scour the Internet for stories and things to talk about is that the violence in Chicago seems like it's just a like a consistent headline and you know I live out in Naperville and I'm seeing these headlines all the time I I can't even imagine if you actually live within some of these neighborhoods that's just sort of like a I imagine again a like a present reality all the time yeah you talk to us a lot about something you know for someone listening that has no experience with that at all like what's it like serving and living and ministering in areas like that um my experience is uh, I'm not for me. There is violence, but, you know, there are other things going on as well. Yes. Right. Um, and I've been able to live in that world where 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 there's violence and joy, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. where there are the good families and families with murderers in there. And that's right. You know, um, and so um one of the things that I like is is just having the privilege to change atmospheres when I mm. come into them, you know, to uh, come into a block where a bunch of gang members is there that they may be on whatever. But to know when I come, I'm going to make the conversation spiritual. I'm going right. to make their thoughts spiritual. What I'm going to talk about be spiritual you know, because gang members don't sit around and talk about when they're going to die. 
You know what I mean? Right. They think about it. You know, they try Mm. to guard themselves. They know it's going to come. Okay. But when when you're there and you're talking about that and you're talking about life beyond death and you're talking about spiritual things, uh, you know, and you know how to speak to them, how to talk to them, it's just helpful. Uh, The violence is pretty much out of control because Mm. uh, things have occurred in the city that has really um, made things chaotic. Yeah. Um, Gang in my day when I was out, gangs were more organized, more structured, more rules and more discipline for rules being broken. But a lot of uh, political moves were made that kind of, uh, broke down the structure of gangs and mm. so now gang there's like every block is a different gang okay. and no one can tell them what to do you know wow. and so you have really took the leash off of it uh, off of the off of the gangs where uh, they don't have to answer for many of the things things that they do there was a time in the city where if you sp- spoke to the right gang leader yeah. you could stop you know, a lot of violence in one area just by speaking to that person. No kidding. But that day is over now. Wow. Yeah. Was there any part of your journey where you were tempted to head back to that life? Like any any part since your conversion, you're like, you know what? I could leave all this and head back to my old life. Yeah, I, I never had that. Not not for never a moment. Tempted Interesting. In never tempted. I mean, my I really, I mean, once, once. God was real to me, yeah. and once I opened up my life to Him, it was never no turning back. You were off to the races, man. Yeah. And the same, the same zeal that I had for gang banging, I had for God. So I wasn't afraid of none of them. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I would go into parties. You know, people dancing with machine guns and all of this stuff, and I'm telling them about G. Like, you know that that's the world that I come come out of. So, right. you know, it, it. I mean, I've and it doesn't matter what city I'm in. I've been all over California doing this work. I've mm. been, you know, in Texas. I've been, you know, in Atlanta. I've been in. Little Rock, I've been even in South Africa doing work in the prisons with South African gang members and, you know, walking in the projects of South Africa. They, they, they're they telling me, no, 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 those are the projects. You don't you don't go over there. No kidding. Like, uh, watch us. <laughs> watch us go over there. And those guys embraced us. No kidding. They embraced us. You know wow. what I mean? We went in some of the apartments and prayed. A, a, a woman there had just, uh, the day before, her son had just got shot. And they was having a prayer meeting. And it just so happened that we was there. And they was asking God to send them a sign. And so a, a, no a pastor from Chicago, from the United States walks into the projects and walk into their building and just have prayer. We had prayer. We had a powerful time. No kidding. So I, I, I love being able to walk in, in the violent world because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yeah, man. And if people hear him, if people have him, then people can have peace. Yeah, you, you seem almost fearless in like this, this role yeah. in space here, in which a lot of people don't have any, they have no frame of reference for that. 
we we live in fear constantly. I, mean, yeah. I was watching a documentary last night, and they were talking about um, in this one particular area of Detroit. They were saying the guy said, "Yeah, most of us thought if we lived to nineteen, that's a success. Like we just yeah. lived with the constant assumption that we were going to die." Do you yeah. think that that kind of life makes you more receptive to someone talking about the ways of Jesus and eternal life and all that? Does that open you up to a receptivity that you wouldn't otherwise have? It, it could go either way. It could really? open you up or it, it can harden you yeah. to where you like, I, I, I'm going to live to the fullest till it's over. Mm. And a lot of it has to do with your uh, your worldview, your because I was agnostic or borderline atheist, right? Mm. So when, when you know when it's over, it's over, right? So right. I'm gonna get everything I can get mm. while I'm here. But when I found out that God was real, it just changed my whole view of the world. I never, and I knew God had, did, had done miracles, <laughs> like yeah, real right. miracles, right. like had given me visions and. All types of things. I went in the courtroom, you know, and everybody that was supposed to be there for my plea deal was not there. People that I know didn't like me, the arresting officer, he wasn't there. And he was at cases that he wasn't even on. No kidding. To to speak bad things on me. So he wasn't there for his case. Uh, You know, my probation officer wasn't there. Uh, one of the victims who was a rival gang member, uh, he wasn't there, wow. you know, and, you know, this all happened the morning after I prayed <laughs> that prayer that night. Right. right. So when I and and a case that I had, I had aggravated kidnapping. I had armed robbery. I had a couple of gun cases. I had a drug case. You know, none of this carries probation. Right. Like these are violent. Well, most of them, some of them were violent, very violent. Hmm. And so none of them carried probation, Hmm. you know. And so the best I, I can get was the 15 year plea deal. But I ended up leaving. They ended up lowering the cases, be- lowering them to minor charges wow. because no one on the on the prosecuting side was in the courtroom. Wow. And so I ended up leaving there with the miracle of having uh, I, they gave me a year house arrest and they gave me another uh, year of probation and they gave me 300 hours of community services no that I ended up doing at Salem Baptist Church in Chicago. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, I want to ask you a little bit more about that specific story because I imagine you have some stories to tell. That's Pastor David Washington, ex-gang member turned pastor and church planner. Coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is out of the country with his wife celebrating 20 years of happy marriage. But you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, we're podcasted. You just type in The Common Good and you see Brian and Ian's smiling faces there. They're photoshopped, by the way. Our teeth are not 
nearly that white at all. But if you're a podcaster, though, any subscription, any review, any liking or sharing, all of that does really help us out a whole lot. But uh, we're joined all week long by some very, very special in-studio guests. And Pastor David Washington is no exception. Thank you so much, by the oh, way, no for problem. taking the time to Thanks share your story. Uh, he pastors a church in the city. You can find out more at kingdomchicago.org. I cannot encourage you enough. You kind of told your story in a condensed way, but the whole story is there on the website. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's remarkable. We've told it at our church a number of times. I'm grateful for you and the lives that I know that you have changed. And you had kind of left off a little bit in the previous segment how... No one shows up this hearing, right? Yeah. And you're assigned all these hours of probation, and you just happen to choose a church, or was that church selected for you? Or no, it's actually it was actually the church that uh, Salem Baptist Church moved in the community. Okay. And they would do evangelism, street ministry. Okay. They would do to engage us. So wow. I've had uh, uh, relationships. That was a church that I had relationships with. Got it. Um, and uh, uh, Harvey Carey uh, was was the minister that actually led me to Christ. And, and when I got back from the courtroom that day, uh, he called me. Had never, I've I've known him for like three years. He's had my number. Wow. And he called when I got back from court. I threw my cigarettes away. I told you I went home. I threw all the, you right, know, that right. music away. Right. You know, and then he called. So all of this is God showing me who he is, right? Yeah, no kidding. And the reason that he called me is because the church had received a large donation uh, from, you know, a, a, an attorney at their church who wanted to wanted men in the neighborhood to go to their men's retreat. Mm. So he was calling me to see if I wanted to go to the men's retreat. No he said, kidding. I know this is a long shot, <laughs> you know, but I've been praying and God put your name on my heart. Come on. And when I told him, I said, I need to talk to someone. I I am interested in going, but I have, you know, I'm on this house arrest and I can't leave. And so he said, well, who who are your people? Who's the, you know, uh, probation officer and all of that? And once he called them and they heard that I was going to a church function, they gave me leave for the weekend. No way. So the retreat actually changed my life because I met other men there who when you when you on the streets and you're looking at church people, you don't think they they've gone through the things that you've gone through. Right. And man, man had stories that was worse than mine. And God had done all types of things. And and. uh I got to know God that weekend, and then uh, another thing that happened, two rival gang members that I was beefing with, that I used to be cool with, but I was beefing with at the time, Pastor Carey had called them too. <laughs> to come on the retreat? God had put their names on his heart come too. On. And so we, we haven't seen each other since shooting at each other and stuff no like that. Way. And we're sitting inside the van together. Looking at each other, going to we didn't know, you know, we didn't know we were going to be right. I thought I was just going. So you didn't say nothing the the whole time. We just (laughs) drove up there. But God got into all of our hearts, man. And we 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 came together and then we formed a ministry together. 
And so I wasn't just out there on the streets preaching myself. They was preaching with me. No kidding. You know, and we was bona fide uh, gang members, you know, wow. that had reputable reputations on the streets for, you know, how we do what we do. And um, God used us to uh, really do ministry in that neighborhood and through neighborhoods all across the city of Chicago and across the country. Wow, that's unreal. So you're you're rubbing elbows with other ex-gang members who love this city, love this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You have this wild retreat experience that, I mean, that whole story of even getting you there is crazy. Yeah. I'm curious, can you speak for a minute or two to the person who's, you know, they're driving in their car right now. They're like, well, I've never been in a gang and I've never, some people may be like, I've never even driven through these neighborhoods. I I have no context for the life that you're talking about, but they're feeling stirred right now. They're hearing your story and they're saying, okay, I live, I live out in some suburb somewhere. What, what can I do? What difference can I make? Like what hope or encouragement or challenge would you give to someone like that? Believe the gospel, believe the power of the gospel. Tell the truth uh, that Salem, Harvey Carey, those guys just shared the gospel. Right. Uh, he was not a street guy at all. Right. Right. Good <laughs> he point. He didn't look like a street guy. He didn't walk <laughs> like a street guy. He didn't talk like a street guy. He didn't get the respects of the street. But he shared the gospel. It is the gospel that has the power. Yeah. It is the it is not in our method, it is in our me- in the message. Yeah. And um you know if we have our faith and confidence in the power of the gospel and we're willing to share it with anyone regardless of what type of life they're living, if they if they're willing to listen, yeah, you know. Right. And even though I wasn't a believer and I wasn't believing I was willing to listen because love uh, is a universal language right. and and they did not come to us you know looking down on us calling us demons saying we going to hell and all of that mm. they just came out of love and concern and care for us and would share the gospel and you know the word don't return void it's going to accomplish what what God sent it forth to do so if we're if we don't have uh fear yeah um and we have the courage to just speak the truth and share the truth in love with people uh God to do the rest. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. Yeah. I just like the the minute or so we have left. How how can we be praying for you and your ministry? Well, our ministry right now, we we are uh, we're trying to do some things that really need to be done in the Roseland community. Roseland community is uh, under resourced community, and a lot of the crime and a lot of the violence have to do with people trying to survive the best way they can. Right. We need uh, resources. We need programs and we need people like like myself and other gang leaders that can do the type of intervention that these young guys need to uh, steer their direction. Uh, Our church has been doing that for the past uh, three years. Uh, At this point now, we're trying to uh, purchase a building that will help us to to do ministry better, to come up with more intervention programs and to uh, help save lives in the Roseland community. So we need prayer as we uh, raise the resources that we need to acquire this building and to uh, put some uh, programs together and uh, 
uh, utilize the space to better the community and better people in the community. Absolutely. I will definitely be praying for that. I encourage anyone listening to do the same. You can go to kingdomchicago.org to learn more, to get in contact with them, to give or donate or come alongside them. I can't encourage you enough to visit kingdomchicago.org. Pastor David Washington, thank you so much, man, for joining thank us you, for the whole man. hour, man. It's been, a, it's been a gift. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This has been the week of very special guests here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hope for your life.